Hey, yo, 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 what is going on, my people? This is your humble correspondent, John Ross Marcus Cox, here on the Way Too Much JRMC podcast. It has been a while since I've been on here with you. I apologize for that. Um, but there has been good reason, um, and we will get into that. Real quick, you know, just again, thanks a lot for you know tuning into the show. Um, for those of y'all watching, you can see I got my, my backdrops changed a little bit. Trying to get a little more sophisticated around here, make the make the show look a little more, uh, a little more um, professional. And I know I know even though all y'all liked my random books and my Jameson bar sign in the background, I wanted to have a little more something presentable in the background and uh, look a little better there. So so yeah, um, for those of y'all that are listening, watching, whatever you can follow me on pretty much any of the social um platforms podcast platforms video platforms you can find me on instagram twitter facebook locals rumble youtube spotify apple podcast iHeartRadio, stitcher amazon all that all that good stuff so you just find me any any way that you want to whatever the your preferred platform is um i'm eventually going to be moving the initial stream over to rumble i'm just you know using them as my initial platform to to boost it out there i feel feel safer about the show not getting taken down or anything like that when it's uh over there with them so just a been look out for that there um it has been a few weeks since i've been out here because we've got we've had some pretty exciting things going on so a lot of y'all that know me personally you know i've been in the insurance game my whole life i mean since i was like 20 i was that dude that didn't have like i had like no dreams or aspirations prior to uh you know, doing any of this stuff. I never thought I was going to be some big shot or have some big job or anything like that. And I kind of fell into the insurance world and been there since I was 20. Um, well, when all this, uh, when, when this adventure began in January, um, you know, started doing the live streams and all that just to kind of keep everybody up to date on what was going on. And it's kind of morphed into something else. And as of this past Friday, I, my wife and I have uh, are taking our family in a different direction, and we are going to be doing some different stuff outside of insurance for the foreseeable future. So hopefully, this will be a big part of it. Um, that'll all be determined on if you all, if you, know, you all as listeners, are supportive of it and keep tuning in and subscribing and sharing and commenting and engaging it and getting it all algorithmically uh, spread throughout the interwebs. Right. Um, so appreciate y'all being here with me. Appreciate you tuning in up to this point and ho- hopefully continue to find the content I put out there as uh, something that's worth your time to listen to. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, in addition to what we've normally been doing, which is these like long form kind of digging into one big issue um, on each on each show, we are going to start doing some stuff, if not daily, you know, at least uh, every other day or something like that th- throughout the week, doing some more current events and just kind of responding to some, you know, whatever's the hot topic is of the day um just giving you some more consistent content and give you some stuff to listen to and you know and figure out who i am as a person and who i am in my philosophical uh you know what my philosophy is uh what my political ideology what you know make sure it at least matches up slightly with what yours is and that it's worth you continuing to invest your time into what i and uh listen to what i have to say and all that so i think it's important that you get to learn that you're whether it be a TV show host or a radio show host or a podcast host or whatever, you get to learn who they are as people. That way you can know if you're, if you want to be associated with, you know, with that person or not. Um, so we'll start putting a lot of that more, a lot of that stuff out there um, in regards to 
future shows. Um, today we're going to be talking a little bit, basically about two things, about the debt forgiveness um, executive order that uh, Joe Biden put out, I guess I guess probably a couple weeks ago now. Uh, but then we're going to tie it into the bigger picture on um, you know, just educational choice, school choice, the momentum that that, that uh, movement has and how we think that this debt forgiveness uh, executive order, how it's just more proof in the pudding that school choice is the is the only way to move forward um so let's let's let's, let's dive right into it here um so yeah so this that uh, here like I said in the last couple of weeks joe biden in, enacted this executive order which basically forgave about 300 billion dollars in student loan debt um i think it's like you had to you can make up to hundred twenty thousand dollars per person up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a couple you're going to get ten thousand dollars forgiven of, of any student loans you have and then if you're a Pell Grant recipient, you're going to get another $10,000 um, for giving off of that. You know, the average student right now, it's showing that, you know, they, they leave school with about $29,000 in debt. So, you know, this forgiveness thing is going to forgive about a third about a third of the average person's debt. Now, this show is not going to be, I'm not coming on here today to, to talk about whether or not I agree with the executive order um, or if I like the, the, the premises behind it. That's not what this show is about. I think I can pretty quick, pretty quickly sum up the fact that I do not think it's constitutional for one man to be able to, or or woman for that matter, uh, to be able to unilaterally forgive promises that were made to taxpayers for the for the bonds that they sold for these student loans. Um, I don't want a Republican president to be able to do that, or a Democratic president to do, to do that. Uh, from my understanding. Congress is supposed to be the person controlling the purse strings um, in, our, in our federal government, and that does not include the president of the United States. So, however, much much like with the other pandemic-related things that went on, we put up with this stuff for so long that they think they have the right to do it. So we're going to have to reaffirm the fact that they don't and not just ask them to fix the problem. We're going to have to solve it for them and lay out a blueprint and saying, this is what you're going to do, bro. Right, that's what we're going to do. So, yeah, so, but now, in regards to student debt relief, one thing I found that's very interesting, seems to be three camps in this thing, right? About a third, about a third of the country since this, since this executive order came out, whether I've been on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever, seems like about a third of the country is channeling their anger to, it's supposed to be, towards Joe Biden and the Democratic Party for what they're doing and the fact that it's going to there's going to be inf, you know inflationary reactions stuff like that um for the fact that we just continue to print money people are directing their anger at the recipients themselves of the of the debt relief now this is also mostly coming from the Republican Party people that, that, that consider themselves conservatives but this is just a another sign of where I think we missed the mark on a lot of this stuff because the, the recipients themselves, they're not the ones that sign this order. Okay, like, they can't, they, they weren't unilaterally able to just say, okay, $10,000 of my loans are forgiven. Okay, they also, same time, I'm always talking about parental rights and parental choice and how it's our responsibility as parents to steward our children into in the right direction. Most of these people... A large majority of these people that took out these loans, myself included, did so without any 
without any wisdom or foresight, because it's impossible to have wisdom or foresight when you're 17 years old. Let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves here. Signed on that dotted line without really understanding the ramifications of it. Okay, like I was signing the. I, I never thought I was going to graduate. I went to college because I was thinking, like, hey, I'm some. I'm this like little country redneck boy from Southeast Kentucky. I'm gonna go out here to. I'm gonna go to Lakes and live the high life for a little bit, and I'll probably be back here working at Walmart, coaching middle school football in a couple of years. That's what I thought. You know, and I would bet a lot of a lot of the kids that are signing these these forms are are feeling the same way. They're from. You know the poor poverty stricken Appalachian area. They're from the inner city. They're from you know homes where the where the parents didn't go to college, and so that's why they're having to take out the loans. Um, so I just don't. I think it's very uh, short sighted to aim any kind of negativity towards the loan recipients themselves. Those are people we need to move over to the conservative side of the aisle. We don't do that. By shaming them, right? Because here's the deal: I'm a I'm going to end up being a recipient of this. I don't make hundred. Me and my wife don't make two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay, so what's going to go? What's going to happen is we're going to end up talking trash about people that actually agree with the premise that the government shouldn't be forgiving these loans, but because we're kind of backhand backhandedly, you know, slapping them. They're having they're going to have a negative reaction to that and run back to the other side of the aisle that supposedly has been sitting there with open arms, the Democratic Party, for these last fifty years, even though they've done nothing to help them to help us. They're not saying like bad things like that about about the loan recipients to their faces at least, like like the like the right is tending to do right now. So again, I just think that's very short sighted. I also think that just like allowing your kid to undergo like gender changing surgery before they're 18 is criminal. It, we almost have to look back. It's, it's almost been criminal the way that parents have allowed their children to sign their lives away simply for a piece of paper without any kind of direction, without any kind of true planning Parents have signed the papers and then distrusted tr- the system, let their kids go to college. Oh, the guidance, the, the counselors there, they'll, 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 they'll make sure they're on, the right, they're on the right path. But not once did that same parent sit down with the kid and have a conversation from semester to semester saying like, what's your plan? You know, what, what are you going to do after you get out of school? You know, yada, yada. My own included. And I love her and my mom is great. But we never had those conversations. We have another third of the country who acknowledges the nuance, you know, the gray area that surrounds this problem. And they're just willing to go along with whatever under two conditions. They don't want to take any responsibility for anything that's happening. And they don't want to have to have any tough conversations. As long as they don't have to do those two things, they're fine with whatever. Okay, then there's then there's the last third. <clears throat> then there's the other third. That simply just, they just want to punish the government, okay? I'm, I'm holding up air quotes right now. The government, for its part, in this whole, like, student debt crisis. You know, and it is a large part. It is huge, okay? That this, is a, this is a past, a very significant sin of the, of the federal government and of us as a people 
for allowing the government to do what they've done, okay? But this idea that when stuff goes wrong that the government should be punished and they should have to pay financially or otherwise, it's stupid. It's a stupid way to think because it's not how things work. The government isn't an entity in and of itself. It doesn't generate its own revenue. It doesn't sell goods and services. It doesn't produce anything to sell, to make, to generate revenue. The government is us. For the people, by the people. The government collects money from us and then pays it back out to, for whatever. So even, even when we identify a problem that is government created and exacerbated, we can't punish it in any way other than just electing better rep representatives you know, and instituting solutions with the next generation in mind. I mean, it's really, that's really all we can do. Yes, the government and those representatives will be elected and also in cooperation with unelected agencies with, that we didn't elect any of their representatives. So think, think EPA, Department of Education, you know, FBI, see all those people, right? All these, all these, all the alphabet soup um, institutions. <clears throat> the government chose those people, and we elected the people that chose them. They and they they did cause the student loan problem, but regardless, we can't just think canceling debt is the solution. There's obviously ramifications for just forgiving debts that were supposed to be repaid to the government and its bondholders. And then just not doing it, just printing more money. But the bureaucrats in Washington—they're not—they aren't being punished by doing, by doing that, by saying like, "You all messed up, so we're going to forgive. We're going to forgive these loans." They're not being punished. That burden will be carried by the very people you think that you're that, that, that the executive order is helping. They will be hurt by it. They're the ones paying the higher milk milk prices. They're the ones higher paying the higher gas prices. They're the ones that their dollar is going to go go is going to do less, right? It may not be one any any one specific product, but their dollar is going to be worth less money. And I said, and I'm one of those people that will assumingly be helped by this. The negative and punitive outlook, so many, it's just so unhelpful, it's stupid. We can't go day, we can't go back and fix what they did. Excuse me, I was, I'm reading off my little monologue sheet here. All we can do is learn from our mistakes, devise a plan forward, and live intentionally every day to get out of this mess. That means, that first and foremost, that means getting these terrible reps out of office. It, it absolutely means that. But don't think for a second they're going to pay in any other way because they won't. In fact, they'll probably financially benefit from it through the, through becoming lobbyists or be getting some other job because they were a House of Representatives member or a senator or, I mean, look at, what's the, guys, the guy from Ohio that used to cry all the time that was our uh, Speaker of the House, John Boehner. He's making like, I don't know, like a trillion dollars a year working for the oil lobby. All right, so, yes, that has to be done to fix the problem. 
But these people are they're not they're not paying they're not going to pay for it. They're going to benefit even from that. So the retribution for them ends right there. You vote them out, and you got to forget them out. You got to forget about it. Get the stinking hate out of your heart. I know it's hard for me too. I have hate. I have hate for certain people all the time. Like I have to really ask God to help me move on from that because it's not because I'm I'm not going to be able to change anything. I'm not going to change their heart, their soul. Okay, so all that all that hate does, all that like desire for retribution, it does nothing to benefit me or the people that I care about. I also have to realize that I'm a part of the problem, and you have to realize you've been a part of the problem. We've all let this stuff go. We've all let it go go on right in front of our faces. We all we've all let them make our kids wear a mask, right? At least for a time. We all know people, know someone or have someone in our family. Some of us, you know, some of y'all have kids. Some of y'all are like me and you're the ones that are signing on the dotted lines. But we've all, we've all been imminently touched by the, student, by the student debt problem. Then after, after, we realize we've been part of, after we get them out of office, realize we've been part of the problem. We just got to hit the reset button, fellas. I mean, there's really nothing else we can do. We just got to move forward. You got you to... Gotta, no history so you don't repeat it. And we just got to move forward. So we got to throw out all, all of our political beliefs, all the politicians you think you support. Hit the reset button. Dig in. Do your research and develop. Here's the, here's the key to moving forward. We got to develop a set of core values that you want in your elected officials and then demand that in order to get your vote, they, must, they can't only just say they'll represent those values, but make it clear. If they get your vote and they don't uphold those values once they're in office, you will vote them out. They will not get your vote ever again. There will be nothing they could do, nothing they could do to right that wrong. And yes, I mean, sometimes that means cutting off your nose to spite your own face. I will tell these people, I would rather have a crazy lunatic liberal in office than for me to vote in a lukewarm conservative politician who is going to benefit financially, benefit from a fame perspective, name recognition, by using my, my values as a way to get elected, but then actually not representing them. Doesn't, doesn't, Jesus, doesn't Jesus even say it in the Bible? He'd rather you not even be like a lukewarm Christian, and like lukewarm Christian is like the worst thing you could be. Well, that's the way I look at it. I at least I can know you're you are the enemy. If I vote, if you if you're like a, if you're a outright crazy liberal lunatic in office, I can respect I, re, I can respect that. I can't respect a conservative that's lying to everybody, saying they're conservative but they're really not. So maybe all that leads to continuing to support candidates and reps you already do. Maybe it le- maybe it leads to supporting others. But no matter what, you must vote for those values and not the politicians themselves. They should be simply a vessel to execute those values that you hold dear, as opposed to the office being a vessel to enact that person's own personal political agenda and their reactionary decisions to help them get reelected. For for my entire life, that has been the way, that's the way the American electorate has worked. We love, a, we love a charlatan. 
We love a snake oil salesman. We wait on we wait on men or women to come to woo us into voting for them. As opposed to just saying, these are the four things that are important to me. Anything above and beyond that, there's room for discussion. But these four things, you have to do, these are my, these are my no, my like, no deals. And then just letting whoever, as long as, it, doesn't, it wouldn't matter, then it doesn't matter who you vote in there. The, no matter what, these, they are regular people just like you. They're not your savior. So let's make it easy for them. Make them feel lucky to be the person getting to make the drives down to the Capitol, whatever state you live in, to press the button, to vote for or against or whatever. Because any of their voting constituents could have done it. They just got to be the lucky ones to get to go do it. But here, and here's, here's the crazy part. If you vote that way, they didn't even make any decisions. You did. You didn't have to wait on them to tell you how they were going to vote. You knew how they were going to vote because you elected them because of the values and principles that they represent. So the values that they were elected represent mean they don't really have any more skin in the game than being a placeholder for the people. Right now we rely on too much on these individuals and are too enamored with their fame, prowess, and charm. Listen, peeps, I'm over that. I don't want no autographs. Or I ain't never been one of these people. I ain't never been a fanboy. I never have been. I've been on an elevator before with LeBron James. I didn't even look at my I didn't even look at my guy because I don't really care. I've been in the same rooms as famous people. I've never went up to him and asked and like just thought of, I just want to ask him a question. That's like I, I that ain't me. We gotta change that culture. I don't need you to respond to my emails. I don't, need you, I don't need you to respond to my calls. I don't need you to like me. I don't need you to invite me to places that make me feel special. I don't even need you to, per, to personally to acknowledge that I personally exist. I just need you to represent the values and the principles that you told me you would when I voted for you. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. All right, that's my that's my rant. That's my rant for today. So let's get into the other stuff here. So get into the educational piece here. A couple of weeks ago, I was at an education committee hearing down in Frankfurt, and Representative Tina Bojanowski from here in Louisville made this statement when talking to Mark, Dr. Marty Polio, Jefferson County uh, Public School District's superintendent. She made a statement, and I'm paraphrasing here. There has been an astronomical increase in nonverbal children enrolling in kindergarten, JCPS, and across the country. Duh. Mrs. Bojanowski. We've been covering... Okay, so if somebody's going into kindergarten, that means they're, that means they're five. For 40% of their lives, they haven't been able to see faces. For some of them, not their, not even their parents. For some of them, their parents are so crazy they get they wearing their mask in the car because they're scared to death. They haven't been able to see their teachers' faces, their childcare providers' faces. They haven't been able to go to the gym at the YMCA and see their people watching them's faces. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm saying this word right, but it's called like a phonebe. 
phoneme. You know, like there's a, there's a way you learn how to say letters, and it ain't by somebody just showing you the letter. They watch you move your mouth, and when you say a th, you got a you get the t, you get your tongue in, in between your teeth, right? They they look for those cues. Okay, they also have been very, you know, it's also uh, explains why so many of them are socially awkward at the moment. They can't see the nonverbal cues. Okay, I was I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast last week with Mark Zuckerberg on it. It was like in the first three minutes. I think it was like at three minutes, 30 seconds. I need to put it in the, in the show notes. Mark Zuckerberg made the comment that he was like, the vast majority of all communications that we that we use as humans is nonverbal. I wanted to jump to the screen and like give this dude like a roundhouse kick to the Adam's apple. Because they they say this stuff, they say this stuff, but then they go on Twitter and make their ignorant followers think something, you know, something else. So okay, but that's that little rant for me there. Um, I tell you what she said because this was backed up by a report released or new data released by the National Assessment of Education Progress this, this past week. Okay, I found this on WDRB, which is the local. Um, one of the local news news affiliates here in Jefferson, uh, in, we'll say Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I don't know if they're Fox or CBS or ABC or what, but I'll post the link in the show notes. This new data released by the National Assessment of Education Progress, also known as the nation's report card, shows that the results may be even worse than predicted. So after two years of online learning, education experts believe going back to pre-COVID status quo isn't going to be enough to course correct. For more than two years, Students, parents, and teachers have endured shutdowns, shutdown schools and online learning during the COVID-19 pandemic. In the first national sample of students comparing achievement from before the pandemic to now, nine-year-olds across the country showed major declines between 2020 and 2022. Student performance fell by five points in reading. That's the largest drop in 30 stinking years. They've been doing this, this things like 1972, I believe. It was a seven-point drop in math. That was the first drop ever recorded since it began on the report. Since they began report, recording this report card, the first drop from like year, from or from like one period to the next. Just as the pandemic created uncharted waters, the solution will also mean new territory for many Kentucky families. Let's might as well say, you know, U.S. families, which can mean extra help at school or pivoting in a new direction. He goes on to say. Sometimes kids' learning needs aren't going to be met by a public school. Sometimes that means parents seeking out tutoring or participating in a learning pod for other families, he said. That might mean enrolling in a private school or switching to homeschooling. Spurrier called the return to normal not good enough to address the loss of learning. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Is this belief that I have, and I think I'm obviously not the only one, I'm not, I don't have any novel uh, or originally authentic ideas to present to you here. That's not my, that's not my shtick. I think my, what I'm good at is relating it to the people and, and saying it to people so they can understand it. But this idea that I'm, well, I am at war with the public school, but what I'm saying is I'm not someone, I'm not trying to sit here and say that any one way is perfect for every child. What I'm saying is that the pandemic 
whatever you want to call it, when school shut down, it forced people to realize many things. First of all, that the government doesn't necessarily really respect your time and efforts in other, other places. They will shut down you in a second, and you will have to adapt. Single mom, three jobs, they don't give it. They don't care. You've got to teach your kids. I'm not, we're not putting our, our teachers in harm's way. It also, it also allowed parents to see what was happening in their classrooms, what, they were, what their teachers were being taught. I'm sorry, what their students were being taught and how the teachers were teaching it. So it made them confront curriculum issues. But it's also just made people more keenly aware of being locked up in their houses and having to watch the news about what's going on in our classrooms, whether it be transgender sports stuff or boys wanting to use girl bathrooms or putting pornographic materials, obscene materials in you know, elementary school libraries or teachers openly admitting that they're not going to tell parents when they find out their daughter's pregnant. They're not, I mean, like, so this is some of the crazy stuff that's went on. I'm not, it's like, I'm not lying to you. Go back and listen to some other, some other shows. But it's also made everyone keenly aware that the issue with curriculum, everything, it's not necessarily just, it's not the teachers. Okay. Like, I think we also had this old school mindset on what's, ha- on how parent or teachers are developing their curriculum I, I for one remember when my mom during the summers back in the early 90s or whatever would be building her like lesson plans in her little notebook or agenda or whatever whatever you want to call it you know nowadays i think a lot of it it's just it's kind of pre-built they're just teaching whatever's in, whatever's put in there and so what's actually under assault is the institutions that are putting these lesson plans and this curriculum out there and not, you know, necessarily the individual teachers. Now, there are individual teachers that believe in this crazy left-wing stuff, but I still believe that they're the the vast minority, albeit a very vocal minority and a very impactful minority because they are activists. And so for every one kid the non-activist teacher reaches, that other act, the activist teacher might reach 10 kids because of it because they're actively trying to convince them to, to, to see a, see things in a certain way. So, first of all, we're gonna I'm gonna talk to you about this movement towards towards educational choice from a Kentucky perspective. Like I keep telling everybody, I am coming to this from a Kentucky political point of view, cultural point of view. But I just think that Kentucky is such a representation of America at its core because. Other than our couple large urban center, or actually not even Louisville, because Louisville's not super rich, but Lexington and Northern Kentucky, where where you got serious money, you know, Louisville, you got you have serious money too. I don't mean it that way. But other than those major financial centers, the rest of the state is so poverty stricken, and it looks and it's all different kinds of poverty. You got the West End of Louisville, that's the inner city. You got the then you got Southeastern Kentucky, and Eastern Kentucky that is rural white Kentucky but the problems that are going on there are the same ones in the inner cities for the, for the most part and the culture the cultural makeup is very is very similar okay the music that people listen to is similar the way people talk is similar outlooks on life okay church attendance rates all that stuff like 
it's just very the culture is very is very similar. We're also unique in a sense that we have a Democratic governor and a super red state legislature, and we're I think we're like the second. Uh, Trump got his second highest vote totals here compared to it was like West Virginia, Kentucky, I think. So how does that even make sense? You know, like that we'd have a Democratic governor. And so we're going to talk about it from a Kentucky perspective, but then I'm, gonna, I'm then I'm going to expand on that, okay? And maybe talk about some stuff that maybe white boy ain't supposed to talk about, but I'm going to talk about it because that's what that's what we got to do. So next time we I'm going to talk about, and again, all these all these uh, articles I'm going to talk about, I'll put in the show notes with links, either either it be a PDF, a link to a PDF, or a link to the site where I got where I got the data or whatever. Um, this one right here is it was commentary from Gary Houchins back on August 11th. Okay, titled, and this is from KentuckyToday.com. It says, more parents sending kids to non-public schools. Support on way. So in the last five years, Kentucky's education landscape, just, much, just, just like much of the U.S. Ed, uh, education landscape has changed dramatically. Houchins got, says, states nearly 100,000 students are now utilizing a non-public school option. Whether it's a traditional private school, homeschool, or some form of blended learning, the families of these students are helping demonstrate a clear demand for, for more education options. This change is not limited to larger districts, but it, but it is instead spread across the state. Last year alone, 121 of 171 school districts in Kentucky reported increases in students who were homeschooling or attending private schools. And here's the deal, guys. Listen to this. I'm from about as rural as you can get. You ever heard the the song "You'll Never Leave Heart Alive" or uh, or you watched the show Justified? That's where I'm from. And ain't no private schools done there. That's why it's such a hard conversation to have because the cultural divide between city and rural here is astronomical. Maybe a wider gap than Republican Democrat. So 121 of 171 school districts reported increases in students that were homeschooled or attending private schools. What should this mean for education policy? Hutchins goes on to say, for far too long, policymakers have assumed that supporting education meant funding public school districts. Yet, nationally, there's been a shift to student-centered funding models. States like Arizona and West Virginia are adopting universal educational choice programs that ensure that no parent goes into debt just to give their child a good education. Over 30 states have a non-public school choice program. Now, a couple of years ago, Kentucky took its first step towards a student-first approach, passed what's called the Education Opportunity Act accounts. Okay, so it's like a education savings accounts. It'll provide twenty-five million in student and private funding, which can be used to cover a broad range of expenses, including tutoring, therapy, homeschool curriculum, tuition assistance, yada yada, for public for private schools. It only went as far as to say it had to be with counties with more than 90,000 people in it, okay? And Kentucky is unique in that we have a constitutional amendment that states no public money, no taxpayer money can go towards a, a religiously affiliated school. So that's our first hurdle here. What's also funny about this is I'm almost positive that this uh, this amendment was passed because of an inner... Christian denominational uh, 
spat and it had nothing to do with the religious the religious affiliation fights we see now after 9-11 and stuff like that this was like you know protestants versus versus catholics and baptists not wanting catholic catholics to spend public tax dollars on uh on catholic schools i'm pretty sure i mean you know don't don't uh take this to the bank but so there's also this thing about not only allowing only allowing students in counties with more than ninety thousand people is problematic and that's one reason it's, it's held up in court right now okay so we're not really going to talk about the specific legislation or we don't need to change it but it's just a couple of things that goes on with that but the big thing to realize in kentucky's situation is that their program isn't even using tax money now, these the people that donate make these donations will get tax deductions or tax credits okay but they're not getting any straight up like uh people aren't applying for a program to take money straight out of like a out of out of a fund established by taxpayer funds that's very important to remember about kentucky <clears throat> so kentucky does have a long way to go towards leveling the playing field for all families Hutchins states we can start by strengthening the EOA the EOA Act by expanding tuition assistance statewide increasing funding and removing the five-year sunset on the program this move alone would help relieve a heavy burden carried by thousands of Kentuckians from a big-picture perspective policymakers should broaden their definition of what it means to support education education policy should be about funding students not systems to the fullest extent possible every education policy that comes out of Frankfurt or DC should put parents in the driver's seat when it comes to their children. In a world of increasing choices, Kentucky's education landscape still remains a largely one-size-fits-all system. Parents are making it abundantly clear that the status quo is not acceptable. Changes coming from the bottom up as parents assert more control over their children's education. It's only a matter of time before education policy starts to catch up. That's what's the end of Hatchin's article. Now, it is becoming perfectly clear that, that people are fed up with this stuff. Right, the pandemic, whenever they shut down schools, and uh, so back in, they shut them down in March 2020. So just for a little bit of personal uh, information, my wife and I went. We went into labor on on March 20th, I think, or 22nd. I'm terrible. I don't know my all my kids' birthdays, but they were setting up triage back in March of 2020. Whenever we went in, okay, they told me like, hey, you better go get your, you better get your suitcase diaper bag uh your car seat all that stuff even if this is a false alarm if it's not a false alarm you might not be able to get back out to go get it okay so that's how like serious it was when we shut down then we get out of there and they're shutting down schools okay so our kid our oldest is in kindergarten at the time starts going on uh online learning well we dealt with it for a while we realized they weren't going to go back to in person in, in august but we also realized that if they did go back in person, they were going to be masking them up. Well, I know what my conduct grades were like. And one of the only things that got me uh, from getting a spell was probably my pretty smile. You know I mean? I got one of those, uh, at the time, I had one of those those little charismatic country boy smiles. Now, I don't know if I got it anymore, but I did have it. Ask Miss Steely, my sixth grade teacher, she'll tell you. But I knew my kid as a He's not going to be able to handle this going back to school and wearing a mask and being six feet apart and all this stuff. And look, now we're here. It's now we're in September of 2022 and Jefferson County still masked. Still masked. I mean, that makes it makes me sad to think about that. All the kids that are dealing with that here 
um, but they just can't get enough press. And people are already trying to like forgive these people, these board members that are coming up for election, and act like that you know they're trying to get them unmasked. No, they're not. Don't be stupid. They're not doing that. All right. But so we chose, as opposed to sending them back to school, then we 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 just started homeschooling. It was I was scared to death. My wife was scared to death. She had just had a baby five months earlier. Okay, and then later, within a couple months, we started sending them to a cottage school, which is like two days a week. Um, but you're still considered a homeschool student, and it cost and it costs a lot of money. So not everybody can do that. So what this program is talking about, what they're, what Mr. Houchins and, and all, so many people are trying to encourage is a certain amount of funding dollars being assigned to a student and then a parent the parents of that student being able to choose what to do with it, whether it be homeschool. You know, let's think about how many how many parents would homeschool if they just financially, if there was a little bit of the burden lifted. Okay, now I'm not talking about y'all homeschool, homeschool already. They don't want the government in your business. It's all worried about all this stuff. Worried about, you know, like the Patriot Act and all that stuff. I'm not talking about y'all. Y'all can keep doing what you're doing. It's working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't know that I'd apply for the money because what we're doing is working. Okay, but we're also not rich. Um, talking about the people in East Kentucky in rural parts of the country where they're not necessarily as worried about the government being in their business as much as they are just being able to afford to do it. So that funding from the state may allow some kids to get out of these indoctrination asylums and get in, let their parents, let their moms teach them. That, so that, that's what they're talking about here. It's the money following the student, not not the institution. And again, don't look at it. I don't think it needs to be a negative towards teachers. I really don't think it needs to go that route because, again, I'm sitting here talking about parental choice and parental empowerment and all that. And the, if I'm not if I'm not about letting that parent choose the ultimate thing for their kid, which is where they you know how they educate their their, their child, then am I any more than just like a Somebody here's viewing talking points. It's not a true believer, you know. Like I don't think you all want someone. Another, you don't need. You don't need another person like that. That's uh, not really about it. Okay, so we decided to do that with him, and now we do it with our second oldest. We have four children. With our second oldest, we're doing that with her as well. And man, it's been awesome. Yes, it's been tough. I mean, there are days where it's tough, and I don't obviously don't do all. My wife does the majority of it, but we're all here, so. We're all screaming and fighting and stuff from time to time, making us, you know, feeling like we just ain't good Christians, like we ain't good people because we're screaming at each other. But man, what I do to go back in my life and get those screaming matches with my with my mother and for dang sure with my father that was never around, that just bounced on me from the jump, what I would do for those screaming matches, man. What I do to just like get to be in the tr- in the trenches with my mom and dad, get to really like grow a bond, right? Like that's where you that's where you develop friendships and where you develop family. And all. it's like it's in the it's in the mud, man. It's in the gutter with them. That's why football is awesome because you're in, you're in the you're in the trenches with with your brothers for you know hours a day every day. So I'm gonna jump through a couple other. So there was, there was a bit. The, the study that he's referring to here was was uh, conducted by Ed Choice Kentucky, 
Okay, this is the one where basically in Kentucky, this is in the last five years, the number of Kentucky students participating in non-public education has grown by more than 20,000 children, a percentage increase of 26% to a total of 97,966 97, students. These students represent about 15% of, of the total number of school-aged children in Kentucky. In 2021-2022 school year alone, Kentucky non-public school participation increased 8.16%. That's pretty freaking crazy. Student participation in homeschooling in Kentucky has more than doubled since 2018, rising from 19,634 to 39,355, 335, 535, whatever. Last year, the full school year after the emergency of COVID-19 pandemic, homeschool participation increased by 11% in Kentucky. What's even crazier here? KDE, the Kentucky Department of Education numbers show that in 2021, 2022, 25,000 students with identified special learning needs were being educated in non-public settings, a rise of almost 70% since the year before. The number of students identified as English language learners in non-public settings tripled last year, and the number of immigrant students quadrupled and but none of these people none of them none of these children are getting any funding from the state for this so people are putting the money where their mouth is their time where their mouth is they're not worried about like they're saying enough is enough i'll just do it i'll do it some of them are being homeschooled some of them are being sent to alternative school sources So this has affected small, large, urban, and rural districts. Just Jefferson County alone, which is 20% of the student body of the student population in the state of Kentucky is in Jefferson County, Kentucky. That's 20% saw a 12% growth in non-public school students in this past year. And they already had, the thing is, as far as the state goes, they already have a. They're already. We already represent a huge percentage of all non-public educated students. So, so to see a twelve percent increase is a is a heck of a lot of stinking kids. But for all for all for all those parents out there that have children with disabilities or children with special needs or you know, I don't I don't know the PC term to use for that. So I obviously don't mean any. Also, don't mean any like uh, disrespect by if I, if I say the dis, the disability term incorrectly. So forgive me if I have. But you all know how much this stuff costs. It's it's been seventeen percent increase in in people in parents that have students with disabilities have chose to use their own money to go out and get their child educated. Maybe that's all rich people. If that's what you want to say, oh, that's just rich people. Maybe it is. You know, like if that's what everybody's going to think. But I, it's like we all know it ain't just rich people that have disabled children. We know, we all know for a fact that non-English language learners are not necessarily in that uh, top 3% of income earners in America. And they saw their number quadruple in the state.
Okay, it goes, this, this thing goes on to say, the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020 likely fueled part of these enrollment trends, although that relationship cannot be established from these data alone. Secondly, 2017 was a significant year for public policy debates in Kentucky with widespread protests by members of the education establishment over pension reform and school choice legislation erupting in 2018. Even before the school district's COVID response made education a front page issue, the education establishment has declared its absolute allegiance to the status quo. And that's really what this is about. That's really why we're getting pushback on this stuff. And that's why you're getting pushback on everything. Because the left, the establishment, the left and the establishment right, okay, the old school country club Republicans, they all are so invested in the status quo that they are they they can't see the forest for the trees. All right, but it's not just that they're attached to the old ways. It's that they have a disgust, a disdain for you, the average person, because you're messy. I'm messy. All right, you tend to work to live on emotion. I'm emotional. You're a little raw, right? Like, you might get a little rowdy from time to time. I do. I get a little rowdy. I'm bad about it. You know what I mean? All my No Limit fans, all my No Limit Records fans gonna know what I'm talking about. They don't want people like us to be able to make our own decisions. They don't trust us. They think you're stupid. They don't, they, yeah, they want you to have a place to live, but they want you to live where they tell you to live if you get Section 8. Because you are, you're, the reason you're in Section 8 housing, in their opinion, is because you are irresponsible and you're stupid and you won't use the money for housing. You go buy a bunch of drugs with it. That's what they're saying to you. I'm, I, I'm, as far as public housing goes, I think if, you're, if we're going to give it out, the people should be able to determine where they're going to live at. That'd be the first place I'd start. It wouldn't be abolishing a program. It'd, saying, it'd be saying, listen, if we're going to do it, I'm about individual choice. And that person shouldn't be shamed every time they have to go apply to live somewhere by making sure everybody knows where they're getting the money to pay for it. It's like, I, I'm going to have the money to pay for it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about getting it. I'm going to have it to pay for it. They don't trust you to educate your children. They think you'll take the money and squander it because that's the, that's the lifestyle they've been promoting with these 84-month car loans and 30-year mortgages, okay, and like consumer credit cards and st student loans. They're just signing on the dotted line. They, they know how unpredictable, our unpredictable nature because they have been fostering that nature for 50 years. Nationwide public school enrollment has plummeted in recent years. And in an analysis for, for the American Enterprise Institute, not Nat Malchus reports that in 2020, 2021, and 21, 2022 school years, a combined 1.3 million American students left public schools. This loss of almost 3% of the national student body represents the largest decline of public school enrollment in U.S. thinking history. I'm going to tell you another one where they're saying it's even more than that. I had a whole bunch of other stuff in this uh, report I was going to read to you, but if anybody has any other questions, I'm going to put the link to that to that uh, that data set from Educate from Ed Choice Kentucky. 
I'll put it in the show notes. Just like always, so you can see where I'm getting my data. And you know that I'm not just lying to you about the stuff that I'm reading here. This is going to take me on to my next part. <clears throat> this is a common misperception about this. When we talk about homeschool, listen, boys, I'm cunt. I'm redneck, man. So when I think homeschool, I'm thinking like long denim dresses, like people living back in the holler. All right. My baby sisters, they live back on Taylor Mountain or Taylor Hill. I'll think of, I'll think of people living on Taylor Hill that ain't coming out unless they go into the pick pack to get their groceries for the month. People that ain't got, and Courtney, Jessica, Nora, love y'all. All right. But I got to use it. I got to have an example here. I think when I, see, when I hear homeschool, I still think kids that are just so socially awkward. Right, because the only play, the only time they're getting so any kind of socializations when they had uh, when they had their little fifty member Baptist church in the street, and they got like seven kids in there, and the rest of it's grown ups. Or like I think of kids that can talk to grown ups but can't talk to kids. Don't understand how to develop a hierarchy or how to defend themselves. You know, when I think of homeschool kids, I don't think of well rounded children that play sports or that can. Uh, they can identify with the most recent pop culture trends or that listen to any kind of good music or whatever. I think of white kids. I'm going to be honest. And I hope y'all, hope everyone else can hear that without see it, without hearing it in some certain type of way. I'm just trying to tell y'all, like, one thing that's important to me when I'm doing this show is I want to I want to tell you all my biases and things that go through my head. Some of them I'm not proud of. And that's why I say them out loud. Because it needs to be said. It's, there's nothing wrong with admitting your ignorance. You can't grow without that vulnerability. But the willingness to admit that you're a knucklehead sometimes. But... These increases in homeschooling, it ain't just Kentucky, and it ain't just backwoods hillbillies, backwoods and Baptist hillbillies. It ain't just white people. So uh, this this next article, I got it from I got it from, it's from ABC News. It's it an AP article again. I'll post in the show notes by Carolyn Thompson. This is from April fourteenth, twenty twenty two. Homeschooling surge continues despite schools reopening. It says, the coronavirus, this is Buffalo, New York, the coronavirus pandemic ushered in what we, what may be the most rapid rise in homeschooling in the U.S. that the U.S. has ever seen. Two years later, even after schools reopened and vaccines became widely available, many parents have chosen to continue directing their children's education themselves. And that study I just read a minute ago, it said up to, it said 1.3 million kids had left the school system, almost 3%. According to another study, public school enrollment is down 4%. In just the last two years, so two million kids have left the public school system. Two million. Okay, if you hear me, if you hear me, uh, next little bit referring to it, someone by the name of McCarthy. I'm, this, this lady's name is Linda McCarthy. She's a suburban Buffalo mother of two. 
has two children. Says they're not, this is they're not going back to traditional school. She's also a single black mother. So when I say this isn't just Kentucky, this isn't just white, this isn't just white kids. I got I got two examples to give to you right here. So this article says black families make up many of the homeschool converts. The proportion of black families homeschooling their children is homeschooling their children increased by five times from 3.3% to 16.1% from spring 2020 to the fall, while the proportion about doubled across other groups, according to the U.S. Census surveys. So, the biggest increase in in the homeschooling population has occurred in black households, African-American households. So maybe historically, homeschooling hasn't been a white thing. Maybe it has. But the biggest increase is in minority families. McCarthy goes on to say, I think a lot of black families realized that when we had to go to remote learning, they realized exactly what was being taught, and a lot of that doesn't involve us. Actually, this isn't McCarthy. This is another. This is another mom. Her last name was Bradley. She's from Raleigh, North Carolina. So the other one's from Buffalo, New York. This one's from Raleigh, North Carolina. So they're they're getting data from everywhere. Bradley, who decided to homeschool her seven, ten, eleven-year-old children, says, "My kids have a lot of questions about different things." I'm like, "Didn't you learn that in school?" They're like, "No." Bradley, who works in financial services, converted her dining room into a classroom. That sounds familiar. That's what me and my wife did. And rearranged her work schedule to take over her children's education, adding lessons on financial literacy, black history, and Caribbean history, which were important to her heritage. She says, I can incorporate things that I feel like they should know. She said her husband, Vince, who retired from the Air Force last year. Vince, thank you for your service. He steps in at times. The couple also have a 14-month-old. They plan to continue homeschooling for as long as their children want it. This is her social media post about her experience have drawn so much interest that Bradley recently created an online community called Black Moms Do Homeschool to share resources and experiences. And I'd, I'd encourage everybody to go over and check that out. I never have, but I'd love to see what she's about. Because here's the deal. I can guarantee you that when she says, my kids have a lot of questions about different things, I'm like, didn't you learn that in school? I guarantee you that the things she wants her children taught are different maybe from exactly what I'm thinking I want my children to be taught. Now, it may not be that I disagree with what she's teaching her children. Maybe if I knew more about it, I would teach my children what she's teaching hers. But that's the beauty of it. She's their parent. She's their mother. And Vince is their father. And as long as we're all promoting generally the same thing of like wanting people to have be empowered and our, our, our children to be empowered to go out into the into the workforce and be positive like influences on society and culture like if she wants to teach a whole bunch of Caribbean history I want her to be able to do that now it's obviously not as important to me that my kids know about Caribbean history have no attachment to, to to the Carib- any of the Caribbean areas. Okay, I'd probably be more prone to make, you know, teaching my kids about Appalachian history 
you know, or um, just something like that. I mean, I have, there's other, sorry, I'm sure there's other things I would like to teach them. I'm just having a little brain, a little brain block right now. But I want her to be able to do that, and I want other other families to be able to do that. Okay, there's the STEM, the STEM stuff when it comes to reading, writing, science, like math, mathematics. Those things aren't going to change. Those are universal languages, right? Like you have to be able to read to be able to do anything. You have to be able to write. Math is universal. There ain't no, there is no like English, English math and Arabic math. Math is math. Okay, so we have to be able to teach those things. But then those extracurriculars, we should be able to you know, have some leeway there. You know, now our schools can't because we, we're seeing what's happening now when they get leeway. Gender theory, okay? Talking to the, talking to kids about sex when they're itty-bitty. Okay, that's, that, that's what happens when they're, they're allowed to venture off. But again, I don't think that's a widespread thing. I think it's the ones that are doing it are bad. They're exponentially bad. But I think a lot of teachers are doing it without even realizing they're doing it because they don't understand how it's playing out in the, in the larger society. The, the powers that be, though, are missing the point. Okay, so this is a Andrew Bacher Hicks, which is a Boston University researcher, said data showed that while homeschool rates rose across the board during the last school year, the increase was greater in school districts that, that reverted the in-person learning perhaps before some parents were ready to send their children back. He said the same health concerns that drove those increases are likely behind the continued elevated rates. Despite additional upheaval in schools as parents and policymakers debate issues surrounding race and gender and which books should be in libraries. It's really hard to disentangle those two things because all of this is kind of happening at the same time, he said. But my guess would be that a large part of the decisions to exit from the system do have to do with COVID-related issues as opposed to political issues because those things come up frequently and we've never seen an increase in homeschooling rates like this before because you've never been this political. The entire educational establishment, all you are, are all of you are political hacks now. Again, I don't, teachers, teachers, you're not necessarily the political establishment because guess what? You are pawns to, to these unions and these administrators as well. You may not want to believe it, but you are. You are a pawn. But this guy, he's, show, he's telling you, Andrew Bacher Hicks is telling you, there's no, there's no amount of data, nothing that can come out that's going to make him think something that, this, that they did is causing this revolt and this mass exodus out of the public school system. If he thinks it's because people were still scared of COVID when they opened schools back up. Shut up, bro. You probably got a mask on right now in your car by yourself. All right, your wife sees me running down the street with my shirt off and my abs out, right? And she's, she ain't telling you, but she's like, man, I wish my dude, I wish my dude was doing that. He's got his mask on. That's just the truth, dude. I ain't even being cocky. It's just that that's how... There's there's like so many y'all now they're just so so like depressing of like individuals. I'm assuming you're a dude because your name's Andrew. But like we need to take the testosterone test. Because a lot of these dudes, I mean, I don't even know what to say. 
I don't even want to fight you because like I feel sorry for you. Go go lift some weights. Go like go drink, go pound some beer. Okay, like I don't even promote that lifestyle, but you need it. Mr. Bacher Hicks, you need that. Go pitch a tent, get hammered, and go hunting or something. Go lift some weights, go run down the street. Don't do it with your shirt off yet, because I'm sure you ain't ready for that. But like that's not why people aren't sending their kids back to school. It's because they're sick and tired of you and they know you're making you're you're making the next generation sissies. You ain't teaching them to read. You're not teaching them to write. You're not teaching them to compete. In our modern economy, you're not. You're, I don't even know what you're doing to them. But none of this has to do with people being scared of, being, of going back to school because of COVID. It has to do with them being scared to send their kids back to school because they don't want their, their, little, their seven-year-old little girl to end up in the bathroom with a lemon year little boy. They don't want they don't want to send their kids to school with not knowing their teacher is uh you know having LGBTQ conversations with their with one student but there's 19 other ones listening and they're they're not they don't even know to talk to them about their talk to their parents about it because they don't know what they're talking about they just know they're confused now. That's why they're not sending them back. That there's that and they just they got to see how positive it was to be around their kids. When I think back on my life, like and how much time I spent at my like at my at, at in my office from like eight to eight, and not seeing my little babies, man, I was gonna cry. Not seeing my wife, not being able to like hear their little going going backs and forth, and their whines and their huffs and puffs and their cries. Nobody wants to go back to that. Not seeing each other commutes 45 minute commutes nobody wants none of that and for you and for you uh legislators that want to promote the family that want to promote marriage and want to promote like community it starts at home and it doesn't just mean preaching it parents and telling them about accountability and discipline yeah ah, do it how i say to do it it means being around one another School choice will allow that, will empower families to make their own decisions. Back to the mother from North Carolina, McCarthy, I'm sorry, back to the mother from Buffalo. McCarthy, the mom from suburban Buffalo, said it was a combination of everything with the pandemic compounding the misgivings she had already held about the public school system including her philosophical differences over the need for vaccine and mask mandates and academic priorities. There you go. There are kids that don't know basic English structure, but they want to push other things on children. And it can be blatant, but it can be, and mostly is, very subtle, very, very, very subtle, McCarthy said. So we were ready to pull them, and we will, and we will never send them back to traditional school. It's just not a fit for us. That's awesome. Next article, I'll post this in the, in the show notes as well. From June 8, twenty twenty one, black homeschool families quintuple during pandemic. But what will happen this fall? 
says across the country, the black community led the way. A recent U.S. Census Bureau report shows that homeschooling rates quintupled among black families with the proportion of homeschooling increasing from 3.3% in spring of 2020 to 16.1% in fall of 2022. One common trend that we've noticed during this pandemic is that parents have become empowered, said Rashida Denning, founder and president of, of Black Homeschoolers of Central Florida, Inc. Those busy day-to-day schedules that they thought would not allow them to the ability to educate their children at home were wiped away in an instant. And they were forced to homeschool due to the pandemic. She said, forced. They didn't give you a choice. You are, you're not, you're not essential. You got to, we don't care if you relied on us, on us to educate your children while you worked and contributed to society. We don't care. Free rent. Until we end the program, and then you, but then you had to pay back all the rent from those months you didn't pay it and get evicted. The pandemic ended up being a catalyst to help parents fully realize their potential and ability to educate their children at home. Reverend Mark Coates, pastor of Grace of God Baptist Church in Miami and president and CEO of Grace Christian Preparatory School said he sees the expansion of flexibility in the form of education savings accounts as key to allowing lower-income black families more access to enrichment programs that have been available mainly for upper-income white students. Education savings accounts, cost says, are a way to enhance mental health and improve diagnostic services. Everybody doesn't learn the same way, and some kids, though they may not be as fast as others, doesn't make them illiterate or, or incompetent, Coach said, adding that homeschooling might be a better option for younger children who have special needs. No parent should ever be denied that right, he said. The Bible says to train up a child in the way he should go. And that's a big that's a big point right there. This whole concept that we let children choose, that it's their choice, that they know what's best, that they're the experts, they know what's best for their mental health. Shut up. You are not fit to be a parent. You are one, so it's time to it's time to grow up. And it's your children; they're going to suffer for it because I ain't raising my kids up like that. They gonna know what it's, what what we about. They gonna know what our values are, what our principles are. They're gonna know what respect is, and when to when they need to defer. And allow someone who's more prepared to lead, lead, and they need to follow and help. They're going to know these things. They're also going to know that whatever sexual organ they got is what they got. Your personality can be whatever it is. Both my sons right now seem to be pretty like dinosaur and sports-centric. Before them grows up to be a little feminine, I ain't gonna freak out about it. Everybody has different personalities. I certainly ain't gonna tell them that they're the, they're the experts and they can decide their gender. Parents, listen to what this guy just said. The Bible says to train up a child in the way he should go. It is our responsibility to tell them what is expected of them. Now, that may manifest itself differently. And we want to encourage people 
especially in in America where we are a nation of individuals with individual rights. We want to encourage them to let that manifest manifest in whatever way that they can they can uphold those values best there. But there's some non negotiables. Tell my sons, you're gonna be a man's man. You're gonna have a code about you. If you grow up when you're 30 and you ain't living by it, it'll be, you will have chose that, but it won't be because you didn't know what it was. You will hold the door open for women. You will say yes sir, no sir to, co- to your to the coaches and, and your teachers, and you will show them respect, even when they don't necessarily de- deserve it. You're going to show it to them. Let's wait to my daughter because she's looking at me. Reasons black families cite for existing for exiting district schools in favor of home education differ from those offered by most white families whose decisions were more likely to stem from religious and moral disagreements. According to a 2015 article in The Atlantic, black families were more likely to choose homeschooling due to dissatisfaction with low expectations and unequal treatment of black children, especially boys. 2012 study of black homeschool families showed they chose to leave traditional classrooms because of institutional racism that researchers referred to homeschooling as racial protectionism. And here's what I'm going to say. Regardless of my opinions, and I'm going to give you my opinion in a second. But these parents deserve the ability to educate their children the way they see fit. If they feel like this is happening to their individual children, they have the right to educate them in an alternative manner. And to me, it's a testament to the greatness of America that black families can choose to homeschool their, their children for different reasons than their white counterparts are choosing. Notice what they also say here. Black families are more likely to choose homeschooling due to dissatisfaction with low expectations. That's the left. It's the left that wants the lower standardized testing scores required for minority students. It's the left that wants to change entry requirements into colleges for minority students at the expense of other non-minority students. It's the left that wants to stop grading papers or requiring you to get the right answer on a math test if you're a minority student. Because it's, it's like the it's the uh, like the male what do they call the male dominated misogynistic or whatever the pa- patriarchy. There we go. It's the patriarchy. It's the left that wants to do that. But it's the left that wants that is also feeling. The public schools are, are, I think in Jefferson County, it's like 60% are minority. They're, they're, the public schools are they're teaching most of the minority children. They're filling their head with all the nonsense that I'm out here talking about. It's those children's heads is being filled with this crap. It's mostly minority children are being forced to wear masks to school. This is on here. Due to dissatisfaction with low expectations and unequal treatment of black children, especially boys. Who do you think is being hurt the most by having to wear masks at school? It's boys. And it's especially black boys that are already being told from the time they from the jump because they are different from their their white female teachers. They're being told to sit down and shut up. 
and they're immediately put into like detention, immediately put into like the you know, quote unquote the bad like the bad kid section. But now they can't see their faces. Now they can't see their smiles. Now they can't see their nonverbal cues and the fact that they're just being they're just play, they're just being playful. That they need to be taught in a different way. Just like most boys need to be taught in a different way from especially from their female counter, counterparts. So I think it's absolutely freaking wonderful that these that these people are taking are taking upon themselves to educate their children. There might be white people that don't like that don't like hearing that that they're taking their kids out because of they see their black children being unequ- being treated unequally and unfairly, and they're seeing that as institutional racism. Guess what? All of you, I don't care. I'm telling you what's happening, and that crap does happen. It may be one of the places that happens the worst is in the education system. Because the people that go into teaching are the people that understand that, like, maybe not now as much so, but, like, that understand the lifestyle the least. You know, like, even in those circles I run now, very few people can relate with, like, my dad being a drug addict and dying of a drug overdose and never being around and leaving my mom and like it's like all the all the prison and drugs and I, I, violence that they most people can't they can't relate with that. So I just bottled up for the most part and I just make fun of myself all the time and self uh what do call like uh self denigrate or whatever in a joking fashion. All right for Going back to the Kentucky thing here, this recent poll found 71% of Kentucky's likely voters support expansion of, of, of school choice to all 120 counties. Among Republicans, 80% wanted the EOA exit tuition assistance for non-public schools available to families in every county. 73% of women voters and 61% of minority voters agree. So stop talking about how these people are lazy and stupid and that you don't want to pay their loans back and all stuff. Even if that's true, shut up. I don't want you to pay my loan back either. I didn't sign the I didn't sign the executive order. Neither did any of they. But obviously the people we need to convince to come over to the conservative aisle, to the conservative side of the aisle and vote for conservatives are gonna be the majority of people that had to take out those stinking loans because they didn't have access to it. Because they don't have access to generational wealth. They want like you know, it's like people in Appalachia. People from, you know, African-American communities, especially the African-American communities, they've only been able to participate in a lot of this stuff for 50 years. So, of course, their first time going to college, they're going to sign to get some loans. They didn't do it. They didn't sign it. So attack the politicians. Go after Biden if you want to, but don't talk trash about these people. About like I said, I'm one of them. So I'm not saying, I'm not trying to categor- categorically say that all those people are Yo, minorities, whatever. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that the people that are, all the people that got, are getting these loans forgiven are all people that we need to vote conservative. Because all the people that ain't getting it, I mean, they're, they're already voting that way. Or they've already made their minds up. But if the conservative side of things is going to continue to to expand and get uh, broaden its electorate, its voter base, it's going to come from like poor areas, poor white areas, but there are you know the Trump's already getting those votes. So it's going to come down to 
expanding into African American households and Hispanic households. And guess what? They are those that those cultures are as conservative, if not more so, than than white conservatives, white conservative cultures. They're more religious. They practice their religion much more openly. They do they do believe in picking yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't listen to the media telling you they don't. Everybody knows one of the things we talk about Mexicans is they're hard workers, right? Pretty good stereotype to have. And we all would say that. Even people when they're saying it in an ignorant way, they would they would know that that's true. These people believe in marriage, they believe in families. Okay, until until the war on drugs and all that stuff, like the black divorce rate and black marriage rate was the divorce rate was extremely lower than the white divorce rate. That stuff didn't change because they, they just didn't, don't like being married anymore. Like, shut your mouth. That's not what happened. So we got to, we got to, we want to open our minds up and see the nuance and how the like institutional decisions of our government, what is, what it's done. Okay. Acknowledge those. And then develop a plan forward. And that plan starts with giving, empowering people at, at its earliest starting point, which is when they're educating their children. Giving people options. Trusting them to make the right decisions. Because I believe that we all do want America to be a great place. And I, I, want, I want more people to homeschool. I want our athletics out of public schools. I think we put too much in our public schools and they can shut it down in the instant and I'll be gone. I don't want, I know how much time I put into my, coaching my youth football team. I don't want the middle school history teacher spending as much time as I do on the public school, on the, on, because it, it means it won't be going into teaching middle school history. Because I can tell you every football coach loves them some football. And when I got an hour to do something, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna put that I'm gonna put 50 minutes of that into football and 10 minutes into the other, at the expense of my pocketbook. But in their instance, it's at the expense of all their students' educations, and it's not their fault. We have put that responsibility onto them, and they get paid to do it, so they feel like they have to. All right. Last thing for you teachers that are still listening, especially the ones in rural in rural places. School choice would be wonderful for you. Probably even like even more so than it would be for school choice in for parents and fam- and teachers in urban areas. In rural areas, they don't. There's no private school presence. There's no real homeschool presence. What that means is there's no educational competition. I'm gonna give you an example here, and I'll give you links in the show notes. My mother's a retired teacher from Bell County, Kentucky. I just doxed her with her rank one when she retired. And I looked this up the other day. Right now, with your rank one 25 years, in Bell County, Kentucky, you'll make $63,000. In Jefferson County, Kentucky, that same teacher would make not, or would make, I'm sorry, it was like 56000 And then in Jefferson County, it was 86000 
So we're talking about a thirty thousand dollar increase. It's like a it's like a thirty five percent increase in pay. It's not a coincidence that it it's going from a place where there's no competition to a place where there is competition because this ain't nineteen fifty anymore. The cost of living ain't that different in Bell County, Kentucky, all across the the rural South. Renting is outrageous because Section Eight creates a floor to where rents don't drop below that. When me and my wife first got out of college and tried to move back to Middlesbrough, Kentucky, you couldn't afford to live anywhere. One bedroom house with palm oil stains, smoke stains up on the ceiling. Couldn't afford to live there. Moved to Louisville, rents insane. Rents the same. The mortgage rates might be lower because the houses don't cost as much. But guess what? Poor people can't afford no mortgage. I ain't got no house. I don't own no, I don't own no house. I rent because I'm a regular dude. I don't think most Americans that currently rent even can even think about buying a house right now. I'm just willing to tell you about it. And I've lived a lot to put me here to where I can talk about it. Utility prices, pretty much the same. Gas for your car, the same. The car you got to have to get to work is the same. You buy your big Dodge truck up here in Louisville compared to a Dodge truck in East Kentucky, it's, it might be... Less expensive in Eastern Kentucky because there's supply and demand's opposite. More people, they all want drugs. The difference and the reason that that increase is because in urban areas you have competition. It's not financial competition. You have you have an offering of a private school that will straight up tell you, "I'm gonna pay you a lot less money," but you're getting away from the indoctrination centers. You don't have to teach that filth that they're wanting you to teach there. There ain't no union to deal with. You can control You control your curriculum a lot more. You can teach Christian values, family values, traditional values. You can do the pledge. You can pray. You can do all that without the public school administration and establishment breathing down your neck. And people go and do it. And so what, the only thing the public school system can do to draw any of those people back because they're not going to let you pray. They're not going to let you control your curriculum. The only way to do it is to raise pay. So all y'all in the, in the rural parts of this country, in the rural parts of this state, in the state of Kentucky, stop cutting off your nose to spite your own face and being scared of choice, being scared of freedom. Tell your legislature, Tell your state rep, your senator, just let, just let everybody choose. We're the precipice. This could be the catalyst for everything. You want, you want like traditional family values encouraged rural America? Let people choose how they educate their children without having to put their money where their mouth is when they ain't got no money to put in their mouth. That's where it starts. Educational choice is where it starts. Any questions, concerns, any corrections you think that you think I need to make, you can email me at jrmc at waytoomuchmediainc.com. Okay? Today's show ran an hour and a half. I do think it was important. I hope you all enjoyed it. Like I said, I'm going to keep doing like a deep dive, hopefully once a week. But starting... Hopefully tomorrow, we're going to start getting consistent, you know, getting and start having, you know, 
daily um, you know, daily news segments, you know, chirping in on uh, current events and things like that, giving you my giving my opinions because I know they're important and you know I'm just so smart and intelligent. You know, I mean, everyone needs to know how I feel about stuff, right? <laughs> but all I know is I just I know that I'm craving alternative sources of of information. Because the mainstream stuff just ain't working anymore. Maybe it hasn't for a long time. And I encourage you to listen to more than just me. But the traditional establishment ways of doing things, we have to circumvent it and we just have to get rid of them. Politicians, teachers unions. CNBC, MSNBC, CNN, even Fox News. Fox News be doing some crazy stuff. Even you conservatives, y'all love y'all love y'all some Fox. I mean, I'll watch me some Gutfeld, I guess. I can listen to Tucker's monologues, but there's times me and him. But again, it's like I, I don't need to. I don't need to agree with everything they say. I think their values to always be the same. At least their their foundational, fundamental principles. I love y'all. Thanks for listening. Again, I'll have some shorter ones coming. Thank you all for hanging in there with me. Happy, I hope you all have a happy Labor Day. I'm going to give a special shout-out to my, to my old lady, to my, to my better half. I love you, baby. Happy 36th birthday. Oh, crap, I wasn't going to say that, was I? She won't care. She's beautiful. She's more, she's more beautiful today than she was 16 years ago when I met her. So, everybody have a great day. Happy Labor Day. Thank you for listening. This is Way Too Much to RMC. Out.